you have your Bibles, would you open to Judges 6? Judges, uh, the book of Judges, if you don't know what that's at, it's in the Old Testament. It's kind of like the fourth or the fifth book in the Old Testament. It's actually the sixth one, I think. Um, so make sure you open up to Judges 6, and uh, it's the story of Gideon. And as you open there, I want to ask you one thing, and that is, have you, is any of you actually here the youngest in the family? So you know my struggle. <laughs> but me growing up, man, I had, like, I had uh, four brothers and two sisters above me. And uh, I was the youngest in the family. And even to this day, they feel like I just need fixing up, right? Like, I just need help in every single area of my life. And uh, I grew up with that where I constantly was told by my siblings how I should act, how I should talk, and everything else. So for the most part, that's what I grew up with. And if you are here and you are the youngest person, you know the struggle, and I'm sorry. But you know the struggle is real. <laughs> and uh, I think that creates in us a false sense of, I'm not good enough. Am I ever going to be good enough? Am I ever going to be enough to sort of you know, pass the bar to, to be like my brother or my older brother or sister or whatever. So if you guys open to Judges 6, we kind of see sort of the same situation here where we see Gideon. Um, so let's read. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever Israelites planted crops, and the Midianites and the Malachites and the people in the east would come up against them, they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no um, sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkeys. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come up like locusts in number, both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the lands as they came in, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So let me give you a little bit of a background here. This is after Moses and the people of Israel kind of left Egypt, and they, you know, Moses died and Joshua led him to the promised land. And then we have this period of judges. Now at that time, Israel didn't really have a king. Israel didn't really have a king before that at all. So what God would do is he would raise up a judge and this judge would lead the people for a certain amount of years. So when you read the book of Judges, we see a lot of different judges, right? Like a lot of different people that led the people of Israel differently. And in chapter 6, and I think to a certain extent, we see a pattern that's constantly happening in the book of Judges. The pattern is this. They walk with the Lord for a while, and then they start getting distracted by the world around them, and they slowly turn around, and God delivers them, or God allows them to go into the enemy territory where the enemy will come and conquer them and make them slaves. Kind of what Vadim described just now. Where, you know, people, think of, think of the Russian community, right? Like us. 
coming into the United States and slow in getting distracted by the things around us. And I believe that back in the day when my dad was a Christian, they would get fined for, get, for getting baptized. They would get fined for having church. Now, who fined you when you came in here? Who fined you for, for being baptized? And people get persecuted for the very small things like singing a song that was Christian or having a Bible. Today, we don't have that. Today, we have the freedom that we want, we enjoy, but I think we have a different kind of persecution. I think in itself is a persecution. When you give a person complete freedom, and that freedom becomes kind of like their bondage, then that in itself is... Let me explain that even further. Back in the day, you had to pretty much threaten someone's life and, you know, find them and beat them to leave Christ. Now, Satan has changed his tactics. He doesn't do that anymore. You know what he does? He slowly lures you away with the things that he puts before you. And this is exactly, and this is not something new, right? Like, we didn't invent this by coming here in U.S., this, is going, this has been going on forever. And in the book of Judges, the same thing, where they come into a new land, a new place, and they start getting distracted. And God would deliberately allow them to go in slavery so they would kind of wake up and say, hey, what, what are we doing? And if you read the book of Judges, you're going to see the same cycle. They sin, they go and become slaves, then they cry out to the Lord, the Lord delivers them, the Lord raises up another judge, this judge delivers them, and then for a while it's okay, and then they sin again, they go back into slavery, and it goes on and on and on. And with every single chapter, you see the same pattern. And this is what's happening here. They're back in slavery, and we have the Israelites, they're basically planting crops, but the the people of Amalek or the Midianites, they would come in and it says that there were so many of them, they couldn't even fight them off because they were like locusts in the, in the land. They would come and they would put their tents up, but they would steal everything the Israelites had. And Israel found him, themselves in bondage. My question to you is this. How's, what areas in your life did the enemy take over? What areas in your life where you're working so hard, maybe God has planted you to, to, uh, to be a preacher, to, a call to ministry, and the enemy is completely taking control over that. Every single time you even have a thought, the enemy comes in and is like, what do you, who do you think you are? Let me pull you back just a second here. Before I repented, before I became a Christian, we had this weird trick, and I don't really feel proud about this, but we would find a bird and we would catch it and then we'd tie a string. And every single time the bird tried to fly away, we'd just pull it down. Now, that's very cruel. It's kind of funny, but the very fact that it's funny, it's cruel. And I feel like the enemy does that with us a lot of times. We allowed him to tighten us by, well, to, to kind of uh, put a string on us. And every single time you try to rise up above your peers, or in a sense, not above that you're better than them, rise above in holiness, rise above in, in your commitment to God. The enemy is like, oh, what do you think you are? Let me pull you right back down. And that's what was happening here with the Israelites. So let's go on, right? And 
At this time, the Israelites get sick of this, and I hope that by when I preach tonight, I hope there comes a point in your life where you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I hope you get to a place in your life that it's kind of like a crisis of the moment where you're like, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. I hope that you have that breaking point where you're like, I'm not doing this kind of lifestyle. And apparently, Vadim's had that point at some point. I hope you get to that point. I hope you get to a crisis where you understand that I can't go on like this. I can't be pulled down every single time I try to rise up. So how do you rise above? How does a bird rise above being pulled down? Well, all you have to do is cut the string. So how do you do that? How do you cut the string? How do, you, how do you make sure the enemy doesn't have any power in your life or any kind of access to anything that you have or any kind of bondage in your life? Well, the Israelites were wondering the same thing, so they crowded to the Lord. And he goes on to say that the angel of the Lord um, pretty much, well, God sent them a prophet promising them they will be delivered. And maybe tonight is that thing for you where God is promising you that, that there is deliverance. You can be free from porn, and you can be free from, from, porno, from drug addiction, and, and uh, I don't know why I keep on saying pornography at the same time, <laughs> but you can be free from, you know, being so entangled in who you are online. You can be free from all the things that are not healthy. You can be free from all the schemes of the enemy. There's hope. And God's going to send you that, be it through a good friend or maybe through a, through a, a pastor or maybe through um, maybe your parents. God's going to send you a hope of message. And that's what God has, has done here. But sometimes it goes on and they don't really feel like they're getting delivered. And in this verse, in verse um, uh, 19, it says this. So Gideon, actually uh, go back a second here, it says, uh, verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the uh, terabith at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So uh, the, the, what's happening here is basically Gideon is this guy that nobody seemed to know, right? Like he's trying to make some lunch or he's trying to make some food and he is beating wheat in the wine press. Now, a wine press is for wine. It's not for wheat. But he's trying to like do this so nobody would see that he has food because if somebody were to see that he has food, that would get stolen, so he's just kind of doing this where, when, when the, the angel of the Lord approaches him. And look what the angel of the Lord says to him, right? And it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. <laughs> Excuse me? Like, I'm just trying to make some lunch here. <laughs> I think the guy you're looking for lives down the street. I'm no man of valor. What God is saying here is amazing hero, great men of honor. And Gideon is like, who me? I don't know what you're talking about. Never fought. Like, I'm just trying to make my lunch, and that's about it. But you see, when God comes to you, he doesn't see you as you are. He sees you how you're going to be. And he calls that out of you. He calls that out of you. He doesn't, okay, well, so now you're, you know, 
have all these problems. And if you look in the New Testament, you see a lot of times when the writers refer to like, the blind guy. It doesn't really give him a name, but it just says the blind guy or the prostitute. And it seems like their whole identity is wrapped up in their problem. We, we do that same thing. Oh, the homosexuals. Oh, the abortionists. Oh, the liberals. Oh, the... And we tend to kind of associate... If a, if a person has a problem, we tend to make the problem their identity. And quite frankly, if we're to look at Gideon right now, we'd call him a coward. If we were to actually assign people callings, what we would call him is, bro, if you're going <laughs> to... If, you, if you're going to make some lunch, at least be straightforward about it. And if somebody tries to, to, to take it from you, just fight. What are you, a girl? What are you, what are you doing? You're hiding in the bushes with a wine press trying to make your lunch. Like, this is just weird. But that's not what God says. God doesn't call him a coward. Oh, hey, what's up, coward? He doesn't say that. God says, mighty men of valor were of honor. The conversation goes on, and he says this. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us. Remember the charge that the angel said first, the Lord is with you. And in this moment, maybe God is speaking to your heart and saying, I'm with you. And maybe your question today is this, what Gideon is asking too. He says, if, my Lord, if, if you're with us. He goes on to say this. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers accounted us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? So Gideon's looking at the angel and says, Okay, well, if you're with us, God, have you checked the zip code around us? We're in bondage. We're slaves. We can't even have our own food. We're hiding out. Are you with us? Because I don't really see your presence here with us. And, and if you're really with us, where, where? I mean, we heard the stories, right? Like, we heard how you delivered, how you told Moses. And Moses just kind of raised up the staff and you pretty much parted <laughs> the whole sea. And we, we walked through. Like, I heard all those stories. But God, quite frankly, I'm tired. Because I don't really see much deliverance in our generation today. And maybe the call that we have as Russian immigrants in this city, in this nation, is the same thing. Oh, God, we've, we've heard all the stories about our grandparents. We've heard the stories about our parents and how, how, how all the, the stuff about the communists and how God would deliver them. We've heard all those things. But God, right now, have you checked our generation out? We're pretty messed up. God, we're, we're, we're in deep trouble. We're in a lot of bondages. Are you with us? Are you God with us? Because I'm, I'm really questioning that just about now. I think as a youth pastor, I do that almost every single day. But I think there's a difference. Just because we don't feel God doesn't mean He's not present. Just because we don't feel Him near to us doesn't mean he's not present. But here, you know, I'm thinking like God's going to defend himself and, and he's going to like come up with this grand plan to 
prove himself that he is with with his own people. What is God going to do right now, right? Like, what is God going to do? You know what God says? <laughs> well, Gideon actually goes on and says, when, <laughs> and Gideon said, please, my Lord, and, and he goes on, um, and the Lord turned to him and said this, go in the smite of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. You know, God says to Gideon, Gideon, I have a plan to save my people. Gideon, I'm here, am I? I have a grand plan. You know what the plan is? You. <laughs> what God is saying, Gideon, you know what my plan is? It's you. I've always wondered, right, in the New Testament, when you see Jesus preaching to a lot of people, and you see Jesus doing all these miracles, right? And then you see his disciples saying some really, really weird stuff. And you're like, Lord, can't you just snap them into perfection like this? I mean, you can make blind people see. You can make lame people walk. Why do you put up with this? Why can't you just snap into perfection? And if you were to look, in a, to look at your own struggle, don't you just wish God would just snap into perfection you and sin anymore for the rest of your life? Wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome. God, why, why can't you just do this? Like, you know, the thing that you did the other, you know, with the blind guy, can't you, can't you do that about me and my problems? But, but see... God is not just in the business of, of supernatural miracles. He cares about the character that you grow. He wants to see a change of the heart. Now, God can go ahead and heal people, but to grow in relationship with you, you're going to have to put in some work. You're going to have to be willing you're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to change you. And are th in these momentary affliction, I mean, think about this. Like, if God could do that, snap everything into perfection, right? Like, why the cross? Why did God have to send Jesus to the cross? But he did that. You know why? Because God <laughs> doesn't just snap people into perfection. He cares about building a person up. He cares about changing the character. He's a molder of characters. He is in the business of changing people for eternity. Yeah. So Gideon has all these questions, and you know what? Next thing he does is this. And he said to him, Please, Lord. Um, well, first God says to him, am I not sending you, right? And uh, Gideon replies back and says this, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if you now have, if I now found favor in, in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who is speaking to me. So Gideon says, God, how are you calling me when I am, my clan is the weakest. You know what he's saying? I'm not, my family 
is not elite. My family is not rich. My family doesn't have all things figured out. God, I'm not, I'm not who you think I am. He says, not only that, but I'm the youngest. And the Lord replied, oh, let me get a hold of your brother. That's not what God says. God says, no, you're the right person for the job. I called you, Gideon, and I'm not moving until you go. A lot of times when God is going to call you to a certain ministry or a certain place, God is going to call you and you're going to make up all these excuses. But Lord, I'm not qualified, but I can't speak, but I can't. I've never preached before. I've never ran a business before. I've never ran an organization before. God, I've never done any of these things. How can, how do you, can you expect me to be good at this? Shouldn't I? I don't want to do this half-heartedly. I want to do this fully. We want God to kind of give us, you know, Okay, if you're going to call me to be a singer, can you give me like the best voice? If God, if you're going to call me to run a business, could you just kind of give me an inheritance of about a million dollars? Like, could you, could you give me a, like a truck of resources? And while you're at it, can you give me about 20 people on staff? Can you also make sure that um, I don't have any hard people in our midst? Like, can you just make sure that all my people are just legit? That's how we'd like to run the business, right? Like when we go into business, where, but that's not how God runs his kingdom. Because when you look in the New Testament, you see Jesus, when he prayed and he blessed the food, he wasn't like it turned into a pile of fish, into a pile of bread. That's not what happened. You know what happened? Jesus blessed it, said, okay, now go give. And now as they were giving out, God will fill back in. And you know what God says to Gideon? Go in the might that you have. Well, you know what God is saying here? Go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. So when you put up excuses like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm tall enough, smart enough, good looking enough. I don't know if I'm rich enough, if I'm from the right family. God says, no, with what you have is what I want you to use. And I'm going to bless what you have. And as you give out, I'm going to fulfill it. A lot of times in ministry for me, like I get to a point where usually on Fridays, I wake up at four and I go to work for eight or nine hours and I come home, I try to work on the house and this and that, and then I prepare for the service and I come to the service and by the time I, I get done here and then I get done, you know, hanging out after that, by the time I get home, it's already 12 o'clock again and I'm just exhausted. I'm ready to kind of give up. And I wish that God would just, you know, give me a dose of, I don't know, adrenaline so I don't have to worry about, you know, where I'm going to get my, my strength from. I wish that God would give me a truckload of grace. Maybe while you're at it, give me a truckload of mercy. But that's not, that's not what God does. You know what God does? He gives us just enough grace, just enough mercy to get us through another day. Because if I had a truckload of grace, I'd trust that, not God. God wants us to trust Him. He's the one who's doing the work. And as we delight in Him, as we come to Him, He fills our life and He pours into our lives and we can pour into other people. <laughs> to me, it's interesting when I ask someone to preach or share a word 
And you're like, dude, I've never done before. Like, it's just so crazy. I'm like, you've worked on projects before at a school. You did presentations at a school. You did just fine. You know what happens when you become a pastor or a leader? Everywhere you go, people expect you something to give. So you go to the teens. Hey, Slavik, so you want to share? And you're like, <laughs> should I walk? And you go to blocks. So, Slavik, what do you say? And you're like, I was really hoping just to sit here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you go to youth ministry and like, okay, well, can you, well, somebody didn't show up. Can you, can you preach or can you do this? Or you go to main service. Okay, Slavik, can you? And, and I'm not saying that because I'm good on this and that, because God knows, I mean, I am not anywhere where I want to be, and I know what I'm on struggles, and if you're close to me, you know how imperfect I am. But the reason I'm saying that is everywhere you go, you kind of have to give out. So what do you think I get it from? What do you think, who pours into me? Well, when you come, you say, well, you know, I just don't feel like I'm getting fed. Well, do you know how you get fed at home? When you're a kid, somebody feeds you. But when you're four, you're old enough to go up, open up the fridge and get what you want to get. So this idea that, okay, well, I'm not getting fed. Well, when I'm at my house, I don't wait for my roommates to feed me. That's just weird. That's just weird. If you're going to be spiritually mature, you're going to have to find a way that you're constantly eating. Because every single time you have a table, it will be usually you who's going to put on that table. It's, you, it's going to be you who's providing all the food. But I hope that in the spare time, you had time enough to eat by yourself. So with that said, there's no excuse that we can say to God, and God's going to say, well, yeah, well... <laughs> Wait a second, you're Gideon? Oh, I meant to say your brother, but somehow I got to you. Oh, I meant to say, you know, Vadim, but somehow I got to you. Like, I'm sorry, I, I got the wrong zip code here, you know? No, the, God's not going to do that. When God comes to you, he's very, very persuasive. Take him from me. He's extremely persuasive. <laughs> it's funny, Vadim came up here and like, I, I thought I'm never going to preach because that's not... You know, and like I remember 16 years old, my dad was a preacher, and I was like, God, that's one th thing that I never want to do in my life is preach, ever. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I, I was like, oh, well, but for you, Lord, I'm going to do it. That never happened. You know what happened? He changed my desires. And if you were to ask me now, I'd be like, are you kidding me? I was born to do this. And I look forward to preaching as many times as I can in any kind of format that I can, everywhere I can. If you follow me on social media, you know I preach a lot. You know, so, so, so now I don't look at that as, oh, that's a burden. That's where I come alive. God is very persuasive, and that's why he calls Gideon and says, go in the strength that you have. Okay, so you don't have money. I got that. It's my will. It's going to be my bill. I pay it. You don't have enough strength? I got that. Okay, so Gideon says, okay, God, well, well okay, so I'm ready. I'm, um, I'm ready, okay, well, can you at least prove to me that you, you're the one who's, who's, who's speaking? So he puts, it, he puts God through 
di three different tests, and he says, okay, if the fleece is going to be on the, on the ground, and uh, if the dew is going to be on the fleece and not on the ground, I know that you were speaking. So he kind of costly tests God, and that's fine. If you have questions about your calling, that's okay to question God and say, God, are you really speaking? Your calling does not call, come over like, oh, after lunch, <laughs> I think God is calling me to China. He will stir up a passion in you, and that passion is going to be biblical. And no matter how much you try to run away from it, it's going to kind of chase you and pursue you. And then you're going to have people around you that are going to say, hey, I think you're pretty good at this. You should do it. Hey, I, have you thought about this? Like, and he's going to confirm it through other people. And that's what Gideon is doing here, that he puts a test before God, and that's totally fine. If, if you want to put God to test, do that. But you know what next thing God asks him to do? Saying, hey, if you're going to do this for me, could you, you know those gods that your, your dad is worshiping, your father is worshiping? Could you go and tear him down? <laughs> now, I don't really have time to read every single passage because, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. But what God is asking Gideon says, okay, Gideon, if you're going to go and fight for me, if you're going to deliver Israel, can you go and destroy the gods, the false gods that your family is worshiping? Have you tried doing that? Have you tried going against something that your family is very, very for? Not only that, but maybe in while your, your, your peers and your family was worshiping, maybe you gave into the worship. You see, what sin ultimately is, no matter what kind of addiction it is, what kind of sin it is, if it's pride, if it's pornography, if it's whatever it is, like, what sin really is, is worshiping a wrong idol. It's worshiping at the wrong altar. And before God's going to call you to a grand calling, God is going to ask you to tear down the altars that you've built to other gods. Before God is going to call you to this amazing Rayhard Bonke and, you know, uh, Billy Graham combined ministry, God's going to ask you to go into your own life, your family, your city, your nation, to start tearing down the altars that you've built, that your family has built, that your city has built, that your church has built. You're going to have to tear them down. So my question to you today is this. I know God is calling you. I know that within every single one of you, there's, there's a great call, a calling that God has placed in your heart. And quite frankly, I know that maybe sometimes you don't want to do ministry or you don't want to do this, but God is going to do His work in our city no matter what. God's going to raise up people like Vadim, people that are willing. You see, God doesn't really just uses the equipped. He equips the willing. So you don't necessarily have to be the best way you do. You just have to be willing. Because quite frankly, Moses wasn't very good at people's kills. And uh, Abraham wasn't good, very good at sticking with his wife's kills. And Jacob, the whole lying part, he's got that covered. He wasn't very good at telling the truth. You know? <laughs> and Samson, well, he got the whole womanizing part down. And Solomon took that well, Solomon just went overboard. So these are not perfect people. But God has worked in them. God has raised them up. 
So my question to you is this, is what are the altars that you've built to other gods? Are you a womanizer? Are you someone that you just can't control your thoughts or you can control what you're doing or what are you dealing with? You're going to have to go and start tearing those altars down. Now we have a few more minutes and I want to give you a couple more points and we're going to pray. <laughs> but he goes and tears them down and you know what happens? The whole city rises up against him. And they come to his house and says, where is that son of yours to his dad? We heard that he, he yeah, he, he, tore, he tore down all the altars and he built a new altar for some God we don't know. The whole city is against Gideon. Ooh, the moment you decide to stand for God, you have something coming. Be, brace yourself. You know the memes? Brace yourself applies here. Oh, the storm is coming. The moment the enemy sees you as a threat, when you, you, know, when you are in, in, in sin, when you're drinking, you're put off at some bar, and you can't even make two, you can't even put two words together, the enemy is not threatening. He probably has this handicapped demon in charge of your life. But the moment you rise up and you say, I will t- tear down the altars of my life and my house, and I'll serve the Lord, oh, the enemy is going to be after you. Now the whole city cares. Who is this Gideon guy? Now the whole city's after a guy that like just a few days ago was doing this and nobody really knew who he was and he was hiding himself. Now he became a target. Now everyone wants to know who he is. So, so the moment you get online and start posting things that are inspirational, that are, are the moment you, you say, hey, this is what I stand for. I stand for you know, holiness and I stand for, oh, you have something coming your way. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. Well, his dad kind of knew that, okay, something's going on here. Maybe I shouldn't mess with God. And he says, okay, well, if your God is so powerful, why doesn't your God take care of Gideon? Why doesn't your God destroy Gideon if he's so powerful? And everyone's like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Let our God deal with him. Well, your God is dead, so you don't really, you know, nobody really dealt with Gideon. But Gideon was on a mission. Next thing, the next thing, what happens is God says, okay, gather an army and you're going to go fight. And he gathers 30, 32,000 people. Now, that's a, that's a huge number. Think of uh, the football stadium that we have here. About that many people. 32,000 people. And... Uh, Gideon says, okay, well, there are a lot of them, but we have God on our side, and we have 32,000 people, and let's go. I think, I think we're, we're pretty good. And God looks at this and says, um, <clears throat> no, that's not going to work. Can you tell everyone that's scared to go home? And Gideon says, okay, well, hopefully five, maybe ten will leave. Yeah, 20,000 20, left. Okay, well... I guess God's going to deal with 12,000. I mean, it's, it's, if you do the math right, and if we position all, ourselves right, right, like, I think we can take him on. Like, I think we got this. And then God speaks again. Gideon, uh, that's not going to work. Can you take him by the river? I'll tell you who did take. And I feel a lot of times in ministry where in your call it's going to be the same. Where you're like, 
God, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this team and we're going to reach our city. And then you show up to the meeting and there's two people. And one of them gets a phone call and they're like, I really got to go. And, uh, but next time, I got you, bro. And you're like, so? <laughs> and the Lord says, yep. That's still too many. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> that's, that's what he does. And he says, okay, well, take him by the river. And they, God says, okay, well, you're going to see him how they drink water. And those people who are taking the water like this, those are the people. So Gideon says, okay, all right. Guys, we need about, I don't know, maybe a thousand people to count the people that will do that. And I'm kind of wondering here, is God saying like, no, you're probably not going to need people to count. You, you'll be fine. Out of 12,000 people, it turns out only 300 people stay. But God says that you should take with you and fight a gigantic army. I'm just kind of wondering if by this point, the knees of Gideon start to buckle and doing this for a little bit. That was my first time preaching. <laughs> the grandpa turned to me and says, okay, in seven minutes you're preaching. We're in 10 minutes you're preaching. And I'm like, Vitaly, he meant you. But Vitaly's like, no, no, I think it was you. So I get up there and I'm like, well, I have a verse. I wonder by this time if Gideon was thinking that. Lord, um, and God says, oh, and by the way, you're like, Lord, can you not? No, no, by the ways, you've said that a couple times now and it, it ruined me. <laughs> and God says, okay, can you guys not take any swords? You, are you out of your mind? No weapons? What do you mean no weapons? Like, like how, God? How is this even possible? What are you thinking, God? I mean... I trust you, but at this point, you're crazy. God says, just do what I ask you to do. The battle is mine. I'm going to fight for you. I don't want the people to think that it was in their strength they won. So when your resources are dangling from like a thread, and that thread breaks, and that leader that you have for block is no longer there, and now you're carrying a whole block on your shoulders. And when you start a business and it starts to fail, pay attention to those moments. Those are the defining moments of our life where we choose to either trust our, our resources or trust God on this. So Gideon says, okay, well, I'm a dead man walking, but at least I can go down in history as someone who tried. And maybe that's your attitude today as you see things kind of like go out of your life and like, Lord, I don't really know what I'm doing anymore, but at least I know this is the, the right thing to do. My friends have left me. I don't even like the people I do ministry with. I don't like coming to youth ministry and I don't like coming to church and I don't, but God, I, I trust in you that this is the right thing to do. And God says, okay, well, this is what you're gonna do. You're going to split your, your whole kind of tribe, or your whole 300 people into three groups. And you're like, God, stop. <laughs> what do you mean? Haven't you heard their strength in numbers? 
And he says, oh yeah, and by the way, those three groups, they're gonna go and surround the camp and they're gonna make a circle. You're like, wow. Okay, all right, well, might as well. I mean, we're dead. He says, you're gonna take a, you know, a pitch and like one of those kind of like clay pitches for like you carry water with. You're gonna flip it upside down. You're gonna get a torch. And you're like, and you're sending us against thousands with a torch and a pitch of water or an empty pitch. There's not even water in there. Like, like who, who does that? God says, just, just do what I say. And you're gonna take a horn and you're gonna surround. And you, you're gonna say a, a, a trumpet or a trumpet, I don't know if it was a horn or a trumpet, but he says, a trumpet for the Lord because the sword of Gideon, it's like, what sword? There's no sword. And he declares this, and, and as they line up the whole camp, I mean, this camp was insanely huge. They break the jars or the pitch, and they break it, and then these torches kind of like, because they had the torches lit up. And all these people in the middle of the night, they wake up, and they see this whole kind of supposedly army of 300 people surrounded them. And in the moment of confusion, they start to kill one another. And there's, any, like, there's barely any left, and they start chasing. It says, on that day, God gave them victory. It's an amazing story, and I think looking back in retrospect, we can look at that like, Psh, Gideon, hero, <laughs> amazing. But imagine going through those moments. Maybe someday somebody will look at your life and be like, Vadim, bro, he got all figured out. He was a man after God's heart. He was amazing. Yeah, but nobody really knew the things that he was going through. Nobody really knew the struggle, the testing, the problem areas. You know, having a city revolt against you, even your own parents. Nobody sees that, those details. But you see, all the saints came, that came before us, they're not any different. They're just like you and me. They didn't fight this, this war with swords. They fought this war with the Lord. And the battle has always been His. And you know what? The war has been won on the cross. And it's done for. And I love this verse in, in Revelations, I think it's 12, 11. It talks about how when we will, be talk, we will be talking about our victory, it says that our victory, we overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And just like Gideon, he overcame by not really fighting, but he broke that jar and he overcame with a torch and a trumpet. So, so a torch kind of like be like uh, the symbol that God is moving and, God, and, and a trumpet declaring how great God is. And Revelation 20, 11 says that we will overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. He's won the war. Now I know you're going through battles. I know you're going through a lot. 
But quite frankly, those battles don't matter when you know the war is won. God is not battling Satan right now. There's no war going on. Jesus won the war on the cross. All we have to do is take that and proclaim it over our lives, proclaim it over our enemies. And I'm not talking about people here. I'm talking about enemies like the the principalities, the demons, and, and all the dark kingdom. We proclaim his blood, his death, and his resurrection until he comes. And that's how we win. So would you stand with me right now? And so I'm going to have just a quick prayer before I let you go. I want to ask you to look at your life and examine maybe certain areas that you've been losing in and maybe you've been in bondage in. And would you bring that before the Lord right now? Would you say, God, would you take this over? God, I proclaim your blood over my life. I proclaim your blood over this area of my life. If it's depression, if it's sin, if it's anything that you're going through, would you declare the blood of Jesus over this? Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you and inspire you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, would you share it with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.